What, which, this, that, or the other? From Bonnaroo to Coachella, traversing the music festival landscape can be tricky. That's where we come in with high fives for everyone. The What Podcast with Brad, Barry, Lord Taco, dedicated to exploring the entire festival scene. Brad has worked in the radio industry for more than 20 years and currently lives in Brooklyn, where he is program director for three stations, including one in New York, one in Detroit, and one in Miami. Barry's been a reporter for the Chattanooga Times Free Press, covering all aspects of the entertainment industry since 1987. That's before you were born. Lord Taco, the smart guy who makes these podcasts on our website at thewhatpodcast.com work. Also really good at identifying babies, loves blue-haired moms, PBR, and his beautiful Volkswagen bus. We all fell in love with the Bonnaroo Festival years ago, not only because of the amazing bands that play there every year, but also because of the incredible community spirit that has developed around it. Radiate positivity. And we really like talking about the inside baseball stuff when it comes to putting on a huge music festival. So join us. You can hear the What Podcast on the Consequence Podcast Network or anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Hey pod people, Engineer Adam here, jumping in for a quick second to let you know about the brand new all-in-one platform for all of you creative podcasters out there. Anchor makes it easier than ever to make a podcast. It's free to use and has all the creation tools you need to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Plus, Anchor will get your podcast set up on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are found. Even better, Anchor helps you connect with sponsors, even if you're just starting out. It's the perfect choice for podcasters, so make sure to check it out. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Back to the show. Consequence Podcast Network. People, Leo Phillips here with This Must Be The Gig, your little backstage pass to the world of live music. Every single week we bring you fascinating conversations from the beating heart of the performance scene with some of the most exciting names on this big, gigantic, spongy globe. We talk passion, we talk first concerts, insights into the creative mind during this truly unusual time, and everything in the Juicy Center. This week, we're excited to share a conversation with Fergal Lawler and Noel Hogan, the drummer and guitarist of the Cranberries. It's just one of those ones that kind of we're got kind of, forgotten. kind of forgot about it. That, ah, I, I forgot about the same it. Thing. <laughs> the group formed in 1989 in Limerick, Ireland, along with Noel's brother Mike on bass, and later joined by vocalist Dolores O'Rourdon. Over the course of eight albums in 20 years, the group wrote some of the biggest, most memorable sing-along anthems of the 90s, from Linger to Dreams to Zombie to Salvation, becoming a worldwide phenomenon. Tragically, the group's most recent record, 2019's In the End, turned out to be their final one, as Dolores sadly passed away prior to its completion. But now, Fergal and the Hogan brothers are honoring their late friend and continuing the strength of their legacy with a 25th anniversary reissue of the Cranberries' second album, No Need to Argue. In addition to the original album, the package will include b-sides, demos, live recordings, a slew of unreleased photos, an essay from the band's archivist, and more. In this chat, Lior spoke with Fergal and Noel about looking back at No Need to Argue at 25 years, the beloved song Yesterday is Gone making the cut after only previously appearing on MTV Unplugged, seeing Irish heroes U2 as teens, the power of a good cover, and so much more. So let us not be delayed. This is Lior and the Cranberries. Enjoy! Did 
did you know at the beginning of the pandemic when you were going to release? No, we, we actually, it had been uh, penciled in to kind of release it a bit sooner. Mm-hmm. But then the pandemic happened and it got pushed back to September. And now it's after getting pushed back till November. Oh, my gosh. So wait, how yeah. does that feel in terms of plans? Because obviously you both have been in this for so long and touring and it's often very sorted and planned out and then this year arrived so what what did you have like what was your preconceived idea of the year prior to what happened what what were you expecting yeah. to do um well it was the main thing was was the, the release of this um no need to argue box set and i suppose we might have um traveled to maybe around Europe and done some press and interviews and stuff for that. You know, we, we, we weren't sure really, but we were open to that. But obviously now it, it, it seems to be just all um, phoners and Zoom and Skype. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for putting Skype in there. Yeah, I'm going to say that, yeah. <laughs> Shout out, Skype. I hope we get sponsored by Skype, seriously. Yeah, yeah, we get some money back here. <laughs> yeah. um, but wait, did you, so how, I mean, this might sound like a very loaded question, I suppose, but I know at least for me, like my system is was prepped to, because I, go to a lot of festivals and that's my work and things like that so my Mm. system was kind of my body was ready to go like the physicality side of it how have you i know that obviously being in isolation isn't new for an artist necessarily or at least focusing on one project or you know being in a studio four walls and stuff like that but how has that felt like for your own each of your own creativity like have you felt kind of just mad and bonkers at times or have you felt pretty like creative um it's been mixed i think uh, like initially i thought okay gonna get loads of done now because i'm gonna be home for months and end but found that i was distracted a lot because we you know we have kids and they were off school and you're kind of you started to do a lot of kind of stuff around the house that you probably wouldn't normally be doing like diy things and that mm. um we were quite lucky here in Ireland. The weather was so good during our lockdown in the first couple of months. So it didn't really entice you to kind of be locked in a room and, you know, kind of working, if you want to call it that. But uh, I do find in the past kind of month or two that, that that kind of process is becoming easier to do and kind of you figure right now we kind of get back to some kind of normality here and, and, and try and write stuff and just create again. And like, it's probably, I'd say one of the longest runs of being at home that we've ever had, like since we were, you know, since we started this, because even on years off, you'd be going away on holidays, you'd be doing different things and, you know, you'd never be at home this long. So it's been, it's been good and bad. I would think of it you know it's been predominantly good it's been great to spend so much time with the family for a change um but i think the creative side of it was slow to take off but i guess maybe it's a case of just we're all getting used to this now and we realize this is the way it is for the time being i appreciate like how honest you are but i also think like for those who are going to be listening Mm. i don't think they realize what kind of extensive 
schedule an artist, you know, and and a band like yours has had for so many years. So it's almost like, you know, predominantly most of your life you've been on the road. And as you said, even on the downtime, you're either creating more or you're Mm -hmm. spending it with loved ones. So it's so, it's such a, it like literally like wraps the wires in my brain to just think how long it's been and how we were all so optimistic back in March. Like people, yeah. you know, like people yeah. were like, oh, I'll see you September, you know, and it's yeah. like, oh, okay, we're here. Like nothing's, yeah. nothing's changed. No. Oh. Exactly. And, and there's no, there's no end in sight. I mean, it's, it's not like, you know, we go, oh, come Come January, we're all going to be back out again. And, you know, it, it's just, it's still, we've all been in this holding pattern, I guess, for for six months now and, and quite possibly another six months or more. So what do you miss the most then? What is the thing like about touring and creating and that uh, kind of treadmill that you are in? What, what do you miss the most about it? I suppose the fact that we were in lockdown, not being able to travel is the worst you know yeah. even on, on the time off I, I'd like to travel and, and get some sun you know and go to a beach somewhere so I kind of miss that the not being able to travel part is, is very very hard I mean we could travel you know I, I think once the lockdown lifted we could travel to certain places but it mean it would have meant spending fucking six hours or something in an airport yeah. <laughs> you're on a plane for a few hours and you don't know who's going to be sitting behind you coughing into your face or you know <laughs> It's a bit risky. So we kind of, I think a lot of people in Ireland stayed at home. I really miss gigs as well, going to see bands live. Yes. Watching on TV, no matter how good your sound system is or whatever, it isn't the same because there's no movement of air in a room, people, the energy and all that. You know, gigs are are an incredible thing. And it's, it's, it's an awful shame that we can't seem to organize it safely. Do you remember the concert that you saw before coronavirus? Like, what was the last one you saw? I think I went to see Bjork in Dublin. What? That's not one, a yeah. bad way to go, right? Can you oh, I like, know, yeah. Having that as your last one. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> like, that's amazing. Wow. She, there's nothing like seeing her live. I, I feel like uh-huh. every time I've seen her, it's been just, it's it's like watching, it's theatre. It's, it's watching. It is. Completely, it's like opera. It's it's Incredible. like exactly like opera. There's something so unusual and unfamiliar, and yet your brain is just completely entranced. <laughs> yeah, she's she's something else. That's for sure. And she I love really that she is, like yeah. doesn't allow photographers either. She only has mm, one photographer. She's right. Uh, there's nothing worse than being at a concert and, and there's, everyone has their phone up because I don't I want to watch it through a phone. I want to actually watch what's on the stage. You know, I know. It's ridiculous. But I mean, I feel like there's always going to be some sort of thing that is distracting, whether it's like somebody talking, you know, it's like humans. Every People need yeah. to like release that mm. excitement in some way. And I feel like those, <laughs> but it's different. I don't know. Have you, you've obviously noticed, you've toured the world. Like you've obviously noticed each country is completely different. Like the cultures are yeah. so, yeah. so different. Some cultures are like dead quiet. Others are like, I don't give a fuck that you're on stage. Like <laughs> You can be yeah. whoever you are. I don't care how famous you are. I don't, I don't care. I want to drink my beer. Um, and others are like, just, you know, trying to get onto the stage. They're so close. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> what do you feel like you have a favorite memory of a favorite tour? I know that's such a broad question to ask, but maybe just if there was a crowd that felt particularly special or a country that you hadn't expected to go to. It's more town to town. Yeah. Yes. Rather exactly. than, you know, a particular country. Because you could play the same venue two nights in a row and have a completely different gig, depending on your mood, depending on the crowd. You know, sometimes it really clicks and everything goes really well. And, it, you know, it all works perfectly. Then other nights it's kind of you're feeling a bit off or whatever. But Do you yeah. know when you're off, though? Like, do you know, like, do you, do you know, do you feel that offness, like, from the crowd or from each other before yeah. you get on the stage? Yeah, 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 definitely. No, it's not when you get on. It, it, no. Or not before you get on. It's actually when you're playing. Or, when and you're then afterwards playing? You can, oh yeah. Oh, God. You Tell can me more. feel it. I want to know more. We're like, it's like a telepathy thing, you know, when the four of us play in a room. Or anytime the four of us would play together, it's just something. You can almost sense what's going to happen next. You know, when you're trying out new ideas or whatever, mm-hmm. you just seem to flow. I don't know. It's a strange. It's hard to explain it. Because I think it's fascinating, I have to say, because I'm not that I want to bottle up that feeling of failure <laughs> by any means. <laughs> but I feel like it's fascinating because there's so many different modes as a performer where one thing yeah. can set somebody off. You know, if a beat is behind, can set another person off. If you are improvising, that can actually make it better. So I feel like there's so many different approaches, just like any career, I suppose. But especially with performance, because it's so volatile. And it's so, you know, you you cannot edit a live performance, essentially. You know, whatever's happened yeah. must happen. So if you're feeling that weirdness... Like something's just off. What do you do? Do you do something to get out of it or you just go with it? Yeah, like you kind of have to go with it. I mean, that feeling that we get, if you go and having a kind of crappy gig, you're just not feeling it. That may not necessarily be the way the crowd look at it. They could be looking at this and going, this is the this is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) You know, And, and great. If that's what's happening. Perfect. So you still got to, you know, you got to do, if you're there for two hours, you you put the head down and you do your best to, you know, to get that gig done. And then, you know, you could go on, as Ferg said, the next night in the same city and be feeling completely different about it and, and have the best gig you think you've ever played. But the crowd may go home, you know, not feeling that way. And we've seen, you know, we've had reviews over the years or, you know, you go over day at the same gig we were kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So you kind of just go with your own gut. And it's funny how, as Farrakh said, the four of us, we'd be in the dressing room afterwards and without kind of anyone having to say anything, we'd look at each other and go, yeah, it was one of those ones, wasn't it? <laughs> you know, it just, we can all feel it on the stage. Um, and that few hours becomes very long when you're doing it. You look at the set list, you think we've still got so long to do why am I not kind of feeling this and it is it's there's so many kind of things that can happen and it could be just you know you could be tired the crowd may not be great I mean the sound could be off there's 101 things that can happen and you know it's it's part of it and when you're starting out it's devastating because you think that's me finished that's my career over you know (laughs) One bad gig, and no one's going to remember the other thousand I did that were great. So, 
you just kind of learn as you get older with it and you're more experienced. It's just one of those gigs and you just, you know, it, tomorrow will be another day and you'll get up there again and do it. And you do, you always come back to it. I mean, it just, it calls you back no matter how long you're away from it. Eventually you think, yeah, be good now, you know, and then that's just kind of, that's why we've done it, I guess, for as long as we have. So, but I know that you found one another when you were just kids. So mm. do you remember that first time that each of you performed as a band? Like talking about starting out, I mean, you know, thinking about that first ever concert, do you remember that moment or where it was or what happened? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. <Yeah. laughs> I want to yeah, relive sure. all of your nightmares, please. The Flag Cafe, if I remember. Yeah, Flag Cafe. What about yeah. 12 people there, if even. <laughs> Yeah. 12's not we bad, pretty... look. 12's not bad. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we made, I think there was one song we made a mistake in. And then Mike, we still to this day, the bass player, we were standing outside waiting to be picked up afterwards. And uh, Mike says, oh, we're finishing this town anyway, lads. I'll always remember. <laughs> 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 you know? Like we're done we'll never, for. <laughs> we'll never play this town again. Or yeah, that's it. Like, yeah, that was never it, playing this it? town again. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so it's just a perfect example of how <laughs> it just, you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was it. We're done. Um, <laughs> but that was that was the first gig. Uh, it was a tiny little cafe in town. Um but yeah, yeah, everyone's got to start somewhere. And um, it's funny, like that's a long time ago. And I think both Ferg and I can remember it like it was yesterday. Yeah. You do remember Completely, yeah. those those first gigs, you know, no matter. You probably remember those sometimes better than, you know, the big shows you go on to do later on. Well, I suppose they were so monumental in just mm. in, in your growth, not only as an artist, but also as a human. It's like one of yeah. those massive milestones that when you're younger and you're starting out, I mean, I can't, I don't think I've ever spoken to anybody who said that first concert was the best thing I've ever done. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Everyone's yeah. like, I'm so <laughs> embarrassed to tell you it was like a choir or, you know, yeah. <laughs> in a parking yeah. lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's kind of, it's kind of wonderful to see and trace the trajectory, like how you didn't even probably realize it at the time. And you were just getting better and better by proxy of not only trusting yourselves, but also, experience just literally yeah. honing mm. that craft do you feel like it's one or the other like has something contributed to you getting better or more comfortable on stage yeah i think the more you do it you know the experience of playing live and getting up and doing it every day um that definitely definitely made us tighter as a band and, and just gave us confidence i think and you know it helped with everything because then it helps recording because you're you're playing really well together as a unit and then you go into record and, and it just goes smoothly and everything goes really fast. Was there a moment on stage or during a tour at some point in the early days when you turned to each other and you said, instead of saying, we're done for, we'll never play in this town again, <laughs> you thought like, oh, there's, there's actually something here. Like when, wh what was that? Was it a show or... A studio session or validation from fans like how what was that click moment the first gig we did we we had toured in europe and the album 
the first album I hadn't done anything and we were the opening act for another band um, that another Irish band I should say the Hot House Flowers and kind of people weren't really taking any notice of us and we were kind of you know we were on when the doors were open and you did your half an hour and then that was it and it was kind of you felt a bit defeated by it but then we got this call to come to America and we first place we, we went was Denver Colorado we were the opening act for, for Dead Air and we arrived in kind of a bit oblivious to the success that had Linger had already kind of taken off, but we we kind of weren't aware of how big it had become. And that first night we went out to play and again we went out to do our half hour set or whatever and the place just went insane. They knew all the lyrics to the songs and it was like the complete opposite of some of what we had been doing a week earlier. And I, I think for me anyway, it was one of the first nights I kind of thought, hold on a minute, you know, we must be doing something right here. Because that's a kind of a turning moment for us in that it it went from strength to strength from that point on. Like the, after that first show, it's kind of, it's one of those shows that it went by in a flash because you were kind of so blown away by the reaction from the audience. Mm. Um, and we were, you know, we'd never we'd been to America once to do the video for Linger mm-hmm. so oh, okay. we weren't aware yeah we'd never been there before you know since that yes. point and then suddenly we walked out and like played whatever the first song was and, and the place just erupted and that continued on and you're suddenly going hold on you know we're on the other side of the world for us and everyone knows our songs and, and really seems to like it too um, and that was That's genuinely, insane. yeah, that was one of the best feelings, I think. And, um, you know, by the time we came home a few months later, back to Ireland, we were greeted, you know, that the airport was full of press and all this kind of thing and big hullabaloo because suddenly we were the band that left. We left to go to Europe with, with the other band and then flew from Europe out to the States and then came back kind of, you know, suddenly the album was doing really well and, you know, you kind of felt finally people were starting to get what we do. Isn't that amazing, though, just to, like, go, as you said, like, that it's such a visual memory, just knowing that mm. the one week you're sitting doing something and the following week you just, like, have people mm-hmm. singing back your, you know, the songs that you've written. And even, like, I feel like with especially the Cranberries, a lot of people would, like, sing the non-verbal parts, like the <laughs> musical parts. I don't know. It's yeah. like, maybe it's just, like, my crowd of friends. Like, we've just always sang, like, the guitar parts. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. You know what air I mean? Guitar. And the, air guitar. Air yeah. guitar and, you know, the drum, yeah. the percussion parts. And I feel like that's such a – it's such an inv- – you, you're such – you allow the audience to be so involved because, it, you know, you really were so beloved right from the beginning – um, and then, okay, so then you saw all these people singing back. Did that uh, give you any sort of sense of like how big you'd actually be, or was it landing at the airport in your hometown when you were like, oh, the okay, this is this is my life now. Yeah, that was weird when, when we got back because we left and nobody knew who we were. Yeah. It was just normal, <laughs> you know, some guys in the band in, in Limerick, no big mm-hmm. deal. Mm-hmm. And then when we got back, it was. Very strange because there was people, you'd be walking on the street and people pointing going, there's your man from the Cranberries or whatever. And that was strange to kind of get your head around. But that kind of lasted only 
for a few years and then it kind of calmed down again. And we could, you know, go about our business in Ireland and, and no one would pay any attention. It was fine, which is made it really comfortable because, you know, when you're on tour, you expect that, that kind of attention mm-hmm. because, you know, you're playing in town, there's posters up and it's like, oh, there's your one from the band or there's Dolores, there's Noel, you know, and then you come back home, you want to get away from that. You want to just be a normal person and switch off from all that. So that worked out kind of really well in the end because we weren't really that popular in Ireland towards the end. Well, I think maybe people just felt like they didn't want to bother you. It always happens with like, you know, you you have respect, I suppose. If you know that the person's just wanting to live their life, it's going to feel like, how do you both deal with that fame and celebrity aspect of what you do? Like, do you disconnect from it? Can you see it as part of you? Because obviously the the number one is the music, right? But yeah, even you mentioned mm. Dolores, like just her image, just her face, all of your faces together on a poster. It's like, you know, people really responded. And I suppose then you get thrust into this weird like fame bubble. So how how did you disconnect to make sure that you weren't... I don't know, letting it not go to your head, but just let it ruin your life, you know, because the privacy thing, I suppose, is really tough. Yeah, like we, the three boys in the band, we tended to go do it and then come back here to Limerick and kind of disappear and live our lives. Like we, we all, you know, we hung around with the same people that we grew up with. We kept that same gang and we, we'd go out with them and, they didn't really care what we did, but it was a lot harder for Dolores because she's the fun person. Uh, she was quite outspoken. Yes. She was the female in this group of boys. And so for her, it was definitely harder when it hit. And Ireland's a small country with not a lot of what you would consider celebrities here. So they hounded her like straight away. And she kind of, she met the guy who became her husband then and, she ended up kind of moving to Canada for a while to get away from it. And she she even there lived outside of the city, away from it. And, you know, you do, you try and find a kind of happy place where you can go to what you want to call work. You go off and you do the rock star thing. You yes. do the tour and show up with the things you're meant to. But then, you know, it's great to be able to jump on a plane, come back here. And you just do what everyone else does. You know, you do your, your groceries and you do the school runs and all the normal things. And um, and we kind of, I wouldn't say we fought hard for to do that. It wasn't, you know, kind of like that way. But we, we always made sure, okay, tour is over. You know, on Wednesday, we're going home Thursday. And that was it. Yes. And, you know, we, we kind of, we did that the entire time. Um it was great that we had the success and we were able to go and kind of take time off away from it then and hide away. Um, but it was definitely harder for Dolores through the whole thing. And um, it's, I guess it's, it's part of it. You don't think of when you start in a band, you just think, I just want to do the music. I want to play the gigs, you know, I want to do the thing I really love doing Mm -hmm. and create this thing. Mm. And it like, it is a big surprise when it hits you the first time when you like that, you walk out in an airport and suddenly your photo has been taken by all these oh people. My God. You kind of go, I had never really thought about this side of it. And um, it's a whole other learning curve that 
I guess a lot of it depends on who you surround yourself with. If you have the right people with you, like friends and family, they don't really care what you do, so they'll just kind of get on with it like you will. Um, and we've been lucky like that, because I think if you have the wrong people around you, that can go to your head. And, and, you know, we all know the stories. There's been a lot of tragedy in music because of that. Absolutely. I am so sorry to hear about her passing. I feel like I can't believe it was two years ago. Um, and yeah. I don't want to bring her up without mentioning it. I feel like we're all human and I just think it's, you know, what what happened, it's just such a tragic story mm. when any yeah. loved one leaves, especially just somebody who was so pivotal and vital in both of your lives, everyone's lives mm. that she that she touched. So, uh, you know, I'm, I, I think that just, it's so wonderful to hear that she, you know, did leave and like had that foresight to do it but you're so right she really did have it tough in terms of because she mm -hmm. was so outspoken how yeah. funny to think like now how like being outspoken is 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 not revered you know it's a you know yeah. it's such a tricky complex thing like why wouldn't you be outspoken of course if you believe in something sure it's your opinion you should should be able to express your opinion on it. Yeah. But then people say, oh, she's so awkward. Yeah. It's like, no, she's not. She's just being honest. <laughs> I think you're awkward. Yeah. When people say that, yeah. it's often their projection because it's like yeah. a type of honesty yeah. you've never felt. You know, when you meet somebody who's quote unquote strong and outspoken, you're like, oh, you're, you're faced with a mirror of what you aren't. So I think that's probably... That is what happened with her yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah. you've all been in that way somehow. You've not ever been one of those bands that don't, you know, that shy away from speaking up about important issues, whether that's in your work, in your music or, or, mm. or where else, which I think is something, you know, to really be proud of. Yeah. Like we just, I, you know, we were talking about this the other day that I, for us, the main thing is that we just stayed true to ourselves and the music. You know, we didn't kind of go with trends and kind of go, oh, we better say this and do this and play this kind of music. Now this is what's hip at the moment. You just, you kind of really have to follow. I started this for a reason and I still want to do it for this reason. And genuinely for us, the music was what brought us here and it's what kept us here. And I think when you lose sight of that you know you become more obsessed with I want the fame and I want all the trappings of that that was something we had no interest in and that way you kind of just get on with it and you say what you think and you do what you think and you play the albums you know you write the songs that you think are right for you at that time mm -hmm. and whether people get it or not that's really their problem it's not really you know we want to be able to look at any of the albums we've done and kind of go yeah I'm still really proud of that whether it be 25 years ago or in, in 40 years time, you know, from, from when it was released. Um, whereas I don't know if every artist does that. Sometimes you can follow this, these trends and trends come and go and then you have to live with what you've done. So it, you're just got to be true to what you believe. And, and, and that's, I think, genuinely what we've always done. I think now more than ever, especially with what's going mm. on politically and, environmentally and uh, in, in, in the entertainment sphere. 
I feel like if you can't tap into that authenticity, it's really hard to stay afloat. You know, it's like it's do you do you have a lot yeah. of young artists turning to you and asking like if you on the road in the past, do you do you feel like you've been able to you know, do people turn to you for some sort of guidance or advice? Some of the younger bands we tour with we kind of end up, you know, having a few drinks with them and chatting afterwards. But yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to give advice, really, because especially nowadays. Why? Because um, everybody's a you know, know-it-all. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. I'm tips for starting <laughs> off, you know, for sure. bands, like how, how do we kind of get our leg up? And it's 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 so different from... From when oh we God, started yes. off, there was no internet when we started off, you know, oh my we God. would post, there was we'd no post internet. cassette tapes to, <laughs> yeah, to record yeah. companies. And that. Isn't that amazing though? You were in like the, literally yeah. the golden era. Pause the podcast! It's time to step away from the conversation with the Cranberries ever so briefly to share a special segment. We typically like to share our favorite live show or live stream of the week, but we want to continue putting a spotlight where it's most needed and instead highlight an organization we think you should contribute to. This week, we're highlighting Wisconsin's African-American Roundtable, an organization led by and serving the African-American community to empower, organize, and transform policies to change the lives of African-Americans in Milwaukee. To contribute, head to wisconsinvoices.org A-A-R-T. That's wisconsinvoices.org A-A-R-T. But for now, back to Lior and the Cranberries. Enjoy! remember reading an interview mm. that you did for the reissue of everybody else is doing it that you played that massively important gig before you even signed to a label like that mm. really even happens now you know yeah like people just put stuff yeah. on soundcloud like who doesn't mm. know that you know yeah how, it's like, kind of like youtube does a lot of the work now yes. that you know when we were saying about playing to kind of a room of you know 12 people or whatever amount of people but we did a lot of tours before we were known, especially in the UK, of being the opening act or doing your own show. And, you know, you, you were playing to kind of nobody and kind of crappy clubs. And, mm. you know, and then you'd have a great show with, you know, you'd fill a room. Now it might only be, you know, 100 people or something. But then the following night, you know, you could have an awful show where it was like people were more interested in what was going on at the bar than you. And, and but I mean you're learning your craft, you're learning your trade, you're kind of working your way up. And that seems to be all gone now because I think a lot of particularly record companies, they just, if you don't have, you know, whatever, a million views on YouTube, they won't even bother coming to see you anyway. And it's got to be so difficult <clears throat> for an artist starting out now. I agree. Because it's, you know, it was hard enough without the internet and you know posting cassettes and trying to get the A&R guy to listen to it but at least if they listened to it they'd come back to you and go look we will come to a show and they knew they didn't know anything else about you um whereas now you know you with a click of a mouse they'll know everything about you and they'll make the decision before they ever leave their office mm. uh, yeah you know I like to look at this or I don't and they don't have enough listens or views or whatever on you know whatever it might be so i i you know 
no disrespect to anyone starting out, but I, you know, I, I really would dread to be starting from scratch. Now it's got to be so hard. I agree. Also, just I mean, I've I've been doing this for like over a decade now, and just seeing like even just people from last year to this year, the the rapidness mm. of the industry. It's like TikTok and you know, Twitch yeah. and all these streaming services and things like that. I feel like they don't get the chance to like mess up, like make mistakes. Like, can you imagine yeah. there was somebody at your fir- at that first show and you could like Google it and yeah. go, and, like it, it's online already, like it's on Instagram live. Yeah. And there's 12, 12 idiots just standing there going like, who's this band? What is this? Yeah. Like that, you know, yeah. <laughs> can you imagine all your mistakes were documented I mean, it's, there's it's... enough of them there. Yeah, <laughs> as it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you did you have a lot of those moments? Like, did either of you like what kind of what are the? I don't want to ask you what the horror stories are from from bad performances, <laughs> but I kind of do. No, I don't. I don't. Stop me. Um, I would. <laughs> have you had? Did you ever play like a super unusual venue or? I don't know, something weird was thrown at you. Like, what are your war stories from, like, tour? There's been a few, all right, I guess. Um, <laughs> don't hold back, you know. though, right? Well, no, <laughs> I, I remember when, do you remember, Berg, when we brought, we, we have a friend, Jar, oh, and God, yeah. uh, we grew up with him. And when we started out, I think it was our first tour of the UK, and we were the opening act for another band, and... We, you know, someone said, oh, you got to bring like a kind of a roadie with you to help out. And our, we asked our friend Jer, who we still hang around with. Um, but Jer knew nothing about music. He, he <laughs> never picked up a guitar, a bass. He doesn't know. You know, he listens to music like anyone else. But <laughs> so, you know, poor Jer kind of lasted of whatever. Maybe it was a three or four week tour. I think he lasted a week and a half and went home because we were like, I'd break a string and he'd be trying to string up a guitar he'd never picked up a guitar in his life and he'd hand me the guitar be covered in blood because he would be sticking the <laughs> the strings into his fingers and cutting them with the pliers and oh, you know and it, the, the guitar wouldn't be tuned up it was you know and, and this was the early days before we kind of anyone knew us and you think okay this is a great start you know and <laughs> yeah and, and it just there's been so many stories over the years of things um uh that go wrong. I mean, there's a book alone in in horror stories of, of any band. I think. Um, now, thankfully, you have far more better gigs that go right. Um, it's right. funny how you remember again. You remember the ones that kind of went pear shaped. Or you may not remember where you were, <laughs> but you remember what happened. You know. So, um, yeah, there can't be a band alive that that hasn't, you know, some horror stories from over the years. Oh, man. So, but you still hang out with Jer. So at least he's still around. Yeah. You didn't throw yeah. him out to the... No, he... Because <laughs> we were kind of going, I think we need to send him home. And, and, and like, oh. before we got to say, he came in one night to the dressing room covered in sweat. Said, lads, I'm going home tomorrow. I can't do this anymore. Oh, so... bless. Yeah. No, yeah. but it's a fucking hard job. Like, that's oh, why God. I always focus on, like, trying to give dues to the crews and mm-hmm. people working behind the scenes of sh- of performances because the amount that you don't see, it's remarkable. It's yeah. like a magic trick. Yeah. yeah. It is. 
How totally. big is your touring? How big is the group that usually goes on tour with you? And have most of those people been your techs for a long time? Yeah, there's about six or seven, we'll say. Yeah. Hardcore, close members that have been doing it for 20 odd years, you know. And it's, it makes it a lot easier because you're familiar with these people, they're friends, they're like family, you know, and we kind of all push, huddle together when we're going through a hard time and everyone encourages each other to get through it, you know, and it's, it's amazing to have that. Yeah, I can imagine it also allows you to be like much more comfortable as well, that yeah. you don't have to reintroduce yourself or the way that you mm-hmm. work every single time yeah. you go out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you need that trust because mm. you're walking out there in front of whatever amount of people and like always when someone new might start and um, you know you'll have those first few gigs where you're you know you're kind of your safety net isn't there if the guy who you've used for a long time you kind of go if something goes wrong I know he's got my back um but eventually you know like everyone has that first night where they've got to start so we've been very lucky that most of the as far as said like the five or six main crew stuck by us no matter what like we could take a few years out give them a call they're back again and you feel really comfortable there's not that getting to know each other or how you know everyone's got their own way of working and when you find that person that you click with you don't have to you know you show up for sound check everything's ready to roll and you you walk out to the gig feeling comfortable because you have enough to be kind of going through in your mind without the worry of am i going to hit this and bang straight away it's going to go wrong um and that's why we've always you know and it's great because we've all kind of grown up together with this as in you know we would have met each other we we the four of us would have been kids they would have been a bit older but you know between marriages and then kids and you know people getting married like their kids getting married and so on so it's been amazing to kind of just have that little group, that small family on the road with you. Did it make everything that shifted and changed? Because obviously, I don't know, are you both nostalgic people by nature? Because, you know, talking about the reissue of No Need to Argue, I feel like it's so exciting, but you're also having to then, I suppose, dig into a life that you are no longer living in now. And Mm. But it is still part of you, of course. It's not like an extra random spooky limb like running around you know <laughs> still attached um, but how how has that been for you to just like work on the box set and know that it's coming out because I know your fans are you know that it's something that like people love a reissue they love stepping back into to things and knowing that it's gonna you know the archives coming back and uh, gonna be treated in a different way so how do you both feel mm. about it just from a nostalgic sense of of you yeah there's there's moments where you're uh it's difficult because you're because of dolores passing you know right where you're listening back to things and she's talking maybe between takes and and a recording or chatting to the audience there was some video footage that we are we were going through for uh uh, daffodil lament has a, a new video that we kind of put up for that with lyrics and and mm. some some footage from when we were recording in um oxford but then you're, you're trying not to get down about it because you're trying to celebrate the past and celebrate dolores's life you know rather than being miserable about it you know 
Because uh, it, yeah, yeah it, it kind of gives you the opportunity to relive those moments mm, as opposed mm. to just like finding them so hard to go through. But it's always hard. I mean, the, a passing never, it can never leave you. Like it's, it's in your system mm, yeah. forever, you know. And but so when you hear her voice between takes, do you remember those moments? Or is it one of those happy surprises where you're like, shit, this actually happened? Like this is <laughs> no, you great. kind of remember everything like it was yesterday. It's bizarre. Wow. You know, you just remember that time and those feelings. Looking back at those videos, it was like, Christ, I remember. It feels like two years ago rather than 20 years ago. Yeah. yeah. Totally, yeah. I was surprised actually at how, you know, how long ago it was because it, it looks, you know, you're looking at it going, my God, that could have been, a, you know, like Farrakh said, two years ago. Yeah. Um, and even before we saw those videos, if you were to just sit down and think about it, it still doesn't feel like 25 or six years ago. No. It, it, you know, um, it, it's, it's crazy how quickly time goes by like that. Um, but it's lovely to see, and I mean, like, what a what a great legacy Dolores has left behind her as well. Then to have oh, yeah. these these songs, you know, will and should, you know, hopefully be here in another twenty five years that people can can hear them. I mean, no artist can ask for more than that, really. And you realize that it takes on a different shape when it's given to everyone else. Like you talk about legacy when it's happening. Mm. And then when it is something that's gone and you're revisiting it, it's like how you approach it really means a lot. And I feel like you've all approached it really celebrating everything mm. as opposed to like hiding away or letting other people do it, you know, which is also fine. Yeah. I, I, everyone deals with a passing or a change or a shift in a different way. But I love that you have chosen to, you know, include her as much as possible in a way that doesn't feel like you're tokenizing a person or, you know, mm. it really feels wonderful. I feel like, you know, I don't know. Do you think like, how would she have thought about all of this? Like, do you feel like do, do, when you watch the videos, we, did you think like, oh, God, she wouldn't want that in there? Like, you think, oh, no. she want that in there? I don't no. know. Like, isn't that amazing? Like, she, yeah, she'd be so proud. Yeah, you yeah, have to yeah, you it that Exactly. That's it. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, she was very proud of, of everything she did, you know, and the band did. So, um, and, and the funny thing was a lot of the video that it was Stephen Street had the video at home who produced a lot of our albums. He had sent it to us. And I don't know how long it is. The video is maybe an hour, an hour and a bit. 90% of it is us messing just kind of laughing and joking <laughs> and you kind of wonder how do we get anything done because it looks like we haven't yeah. it looks like we've barely worked it looks like we just spent the whole time joking and it's lovely you know and she loved that I, I think that's a side of Dolores a lot of people didn't know um because you know you have this kind of public face but privately um she just loved to joke around all the time so it's great to it's, it was a lovely reminder to see that. And I know fans have loved uh, Yesterday is Gone since you debuted mm. it on the MTV Unplugged. And so how does it feel to finally release it, like officially release it as well? I mean, that's not the only thing officially being released, but how does how does it feel to have that kind of, you know, out there? Great. It's cool. Yeah. I think that was the only time we played it. We didn't really play it live no. much in the set or anything like that. And 
was there a reason just because of the setting or the mood? Like, why? Nah. It's just one of those ones that kind of we're got forgotten. We kind of <laughs> forgot about it. That, ah, I, I taught the same it. thing. <laughs> I was like, how can we never even recorded it yeah. or played it again after MTV? And then it just, yeah, I don't know. It was the 90s. You forget a lot of things, you know. So Man, it just, when you um, so hard, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was crazy that we just literally, we played it that one time and there's never again. Like we were probably doing a gig the following day yeah. and nobody thought to say, should we put that new song in? It just kind of <laughs> disappeared. So, but it's it's great because it worked out that we have it now anyway for people sure. that may not have heard it before. Absolutely. It was almost divine uh, universe. Yeah. Uh, universe <laughs> yeah. came and mixed, messed in That's messed with the plan. But so I yeah. also absolutely adore uh, your cover of Close to You, which is included here too. And there's something so mm. special uh, just about a well-chosen cover. I don't know if either of you are like cover geeks in that sense, but is there another cover that was like equally meaningful for you both in your career? Or have you heard a band cover you that you loved? Like how close are you to that concept? Because I think it's such an art form when it's done properly. I think mm. with a cover version, you, you kind of have to put your own sound on it, mm. you know, and not do it the exact same as the original artist did it. There's no point to do it the exact same because it's been done one way already and it's perfect that way. So why would you try and replicate that? Right. You have to kind of do a different version and try and put your own stamp in it. And it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's, I don't know, it's more respectful, I think, to do it that way. Yeah, that's a really nice way of putting it, because I suppose if you're just mimicking, it's karaoke, right? Then you're yeah, just like yeah, you're totally, re-singing yeah. somebody's words. And yeah. you are also unique in just the way that you play. If you didn't put your own spin, it would be so strange. I don't know how your fingers or your brain would like you know deal with that if you try to replicate something because you have your own style because it can get scary you know when you're asked to do these things yeah you're kind of a bit oh i don't know if we should or shouldn't you you do want to do it but you worry you know a lot of these kind of songs that get covered they're big songs they're you know they're big shoes to be filling so you'll either make a complete mess of it hmm. or you do a great job. There's never a kind of an in-between, I think. So, again, it's a case, as Farrow said, you just kind of, you do your take of it and, you know, you you play it the way you would play if it was one of your own songs is the best way to do it and not try and just do a karaoke version um, because I think it gets passed over pretty quickly if you do that. But I'm sure your stuff has been covered so much. Like, do you, do, have you seen a lot of people covering it or, I mean, probably just type into YouTube and you'll see it. You'll see yeah, it. yeah. Loads on YouTube. A lot, yeah. a lot. Yeah, yeah. I think Zombie and Dreams in particular, both right. those tracks <clears throat> seem to come up a lot and mixed results, let's put it that way, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying they should, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna make mixed, the that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to make the headline, yeah. cranberries think you're all shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, mixed results, I'll repeat that. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> but also what's cool about this set is that it also includes some unreleased photos as well, which I think like a mm. not, a, not a lot of people do that. I think um, they forget that the fans want to see the entire, this entire like mm. world. And so you've got this unreleased, these unreleased photos and an essay, especially just because of your diehard loyal fans them getting to see that or was it more for you to look back at those moments and be able to release it like what was the intention behind that we had worked with Andy Earl I think he did pretty much most of, of our photography for the for the albums and he did the cover of the last album in the end and we were talking to him telling him that this was coming out and he said I think I have a load of files of photos from that session because we did like a two-day photo shoot Traveling around Dublin to do, with the with the couch in the back of a van, setting oh it up in God. different places. That's funny. <laughs> so he said, I, "I think I have files with loads of those spare photos that we haven't used." So he, he kind of sent over a load of stuff, and then we went through it and went, "Oh, we should put on some of these ones that haven't been used before." So who carried that couch around every time you oh, just park the truck a, wherever? And <laughs> yeah, there was a few people helping out as well, but we were kind of. At one point, we threw it into a boat and went out to Docky Island off the coast of Dublin oh and took God. photos on an island and <laughs> came back in a boat again. I feel yeah. like I can just picture you not on the boat, but on a couch just sailing across the seas, just, <laughs> <laughs> just floating to nowhere. Yeah. But isn't that amazing? What a, what a brilliant idea. That must have been so much fun. That oh, it was great ridiculous. fun, yeah. Do you remember... Again, talking about the ideals of nostalgia, do you each remember the first concert that you ever saw live? The first band that you ever saw on stage or the first performance that, maybe not the first one or the one, you know, just the one that really stuck out to you? We all went to see you 2 when we were like six, 15, 16. Oh my they were God. playing in Cork. So we got the train down, a bunch of us together. And yeah. I remember Mike <laughs> had his ticket safely in his shoe <laughs> and then the heat it was summer <laughs> the heat and he was walking around all day and then i said okay come on we get our tickets out so we go in so he <laughs> takes off his shoe and his ticket had dissolved <laughs> in his shoe <laughs> and he was nearly crying evaporated <laughs> nearly crying. yeah so we all chipped in and bought him another ticket <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God! Wait, when was this? What year? Nineteen eighty. Nineteen eighty. Uh, the Joshua Tree tour. Yeah, Joshua Tree yeah. tour. Oh my yeah. God! August August eighth, nineteen eighty seven. I remember yeah. the poster up on my wall for years afterwards. Do you still have that <laughs> it was poster? Amazing. Do you still? No, like, I don't think so. In a box somewhere. Oh damn, man! <laughs> I doubt it. Please keep the poster. No. <laughs> 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 or 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 his incinerated ticket. Fuck, that's so funny. I know, he should have kept oh. and framed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, his dirty ticket. Oh, man, well, at least you all joined in together in solidarity to help him. Now you wouldn't be yeah. able, now you wouldn't ever mm. need to worry. I suppose everything's digital. He still gets a hard time about that. <laughs> <the story. laughs> Does he? Yeah. You should yeah. say, Where's, where do you keep everything else? Do you always keep stuff in your shit? <laughs> yeah. Look, yeah. I'm not even going to lie. It's actually not a bad place to keep your shit because with like, when you're walking around big crowds, yeah. except for yeah. paper. <laughs> Just not on a hot day when you're going to sweat it out. You know? Should have wrapped yeah. it in plastic or something. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sure. Well, you would have definitely had that idea. Mm. Yeah. 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 They were huge by that time. It was a stadium. Yeah. Yeah. 
that was like a big homecoming gig really for them mm. um it was amazing we were all kind of i think in awe of it just kind of going this is an irish band and you know they were massive in america at the time um that album was obviously you know it was so big it was so great yeah yeah and it was the first proper gig i think we had been to and you kind of you you know that you feel when a band comes on and, and it just the first hit of that drum and it just the air moves through the whole stadium it's just like i mean it's on you know you can't really describe it you have to feel it um and i always remember that it's just been kind of wow this is just unbelievable it was the last thing in our minds that someday we'd be in a place doing something like that but it definitely was part of I guess the journey for us to you know to fall more in love with music and especially see your you know what would become your peers like see them yeah people from mm. your own hometown because I know I'm from South Africa and like seeing a South African band like make it big I'm sure Ireland mm. is the same the industries are so small Obviously, yeah. you're closer to Europe and UK, so it's easier to tap into that market. But when a band from a small, you know, town makes it at that level, it's like there's no pride is like not even a, a good enough mm. word to describe mm. it, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. But were you playing music by that time already, you guys? Were you in? No, no, no I don't think no. we'd even started. We haven't oh. even played any instrument at that stage. Do you think that that show made you start playing? We started thinking about it more seriously, maybe. But we, we just, I think we thought that could never be us because they're from Dublin. Yeah. They're this big band, you know, they're huge. I think when we started seeing smaller bands in Limerick and smaller Irish bands playing in Limerick, then we kind of said, oh, it's more within reach. You know, we kind of realized then that maybe we could do this makes it more accessible i think yeah absolutely when you it's like when you can put yourself in that moment and think that mm. it's really possible like it's actually possible because they've done it right in front of you yeah and like the, these are guys you would see in the same bars or whatever where we would go out at the time yeah you think there's that guy i saw on stage the other night and it's like you realize these are just normal guys and girls walking around the place that you know getting on with their thing as well and Kind of think, sure, why don't we give that a go? You know, we're into music. We loved it. Um, and then you just want to start to create something that you think you would want to hear. If you, you know, if we, I think that's been the thing with us is that we always kind of said, would we want to hear this kind of music? Um, you know, and, and that's why we made the music the Cranberries made. God, can you imagine playing music that you like hated? I don't oh, know. God. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. just being or being yeah. part of like a machine. Yeah, yeah. Because we've had songs, you know, especially in the early days <laughs> with yes. some brutally bad songs. And thankfully, like we'd use them to fill up the set because we had maybe six sure. songs and we'd yes. be the opening act. But you you know, we had the wherewithal to go, oh, that's kinda of crap, let's get rid of that. <laughs> and you know, you wouldn't be looking forward to playing that three minutes every night. So um and, and we were lucky we had the luxury of being able to do that as time went by and you kind of and you do look even songs you loved at one time, you do tire of them a bit. I was going to ask, yes, because that's natural, yeah. right? In any repertoire, any yeah. artist's repertoire, you do get, it just because it loses its meaning in a sense because it's mm. it's just part of you. Are there songs of your, like on your set list that are often on there that you just like, 
we 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 cannot play that anymore or you just know your body goes into like robot mode when you're playing it yeah yeah but i think for did we leave linger out one time i think Once. ever and it was, it was murder the right? the, 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 yeah. the crowd went mental oh i'm sure and, yeah yeah so i was like kind of yeah, we never do that again. Um, <laughs> so, so Linger was a bar, I think, apart from that one gig, one it was probably in every set. And Linger was our very first song. Yeah. So there were nights where you could slightly go on autopilot with it because it's, you know, you knew the song so well and kind of, you know, um, but still the fans have paid to come and see this. This is songs they love, you know, so you just... You know, it's not about us. It's 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 especially the gig. It's the audience that matter. So you kind of you know you do it for them. Yeah, you've almost got to detach from that. Like why yeah, you're there yeah. and the reasonings, like the personal ego to it, exactly. not in a bad way. But you almost have to go. Like, yeah, I know that that we are so beloved for this, and there's so many bands that don't even have those hits. You know, mm. like but your hits are so they are they are like ingrained. In people's brains, like there's nobody. Even if the person hasn't heard it in years, mm. I can tell you they will be able to sing it back. Like it's so catchy. Mm. Yeah. I don't know if it's the time when it came out or what. It's the songwriting. Yeah. It's the band. It's everything. But they really, yeah. I can imagine you piss some people off if you don't play it. Yeah. <laughs> you're gonna, yeah. you're gonna it's, get it's a like, riot. Yeah. It's like when you go and see a band that just decide to play, we're going to just play our new album tonight that may not even be out yet. And it's like, oh, God, no, here <laughs> no. we go. And no, uh, 90 yeah. minutes of, of no, of, I don't even know one of these songs. Yeah. This Must Be The Gig is produced by Adam Kibble. We'd like to thank Dean Berger and Daniel Brater for additional music, as well as the Consequence Podcast Network. Hey. If you've listened this far, why not go the extra mile and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. Your comments provide valuable feedback for us and it helps other people find us too. For information on new episodes, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram at TMBTGpod and generally just irritate everyone you know about the show. Thanks again and I miss you already. Consequence Podcast Network.